Hello and welcome to the Gloucester Vineyard Weekly Podcast. My name's Jemima and this week I'm going to be talking about Luke chapters 19 and 20. Now unfortunately the talk didn't record on Sunday so here I am doing it for a bonus second time. It's really really lovely to be with you and I hope that you get something from this. Now, Luke chapters 19 and 20 covers a whole range of different things. We hear the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who Jesus befriended. And we hear some parables, which are stories that Jesus told. I like to think of parables as earthly stories with heavenly meanings. We hear the story of Jesus on Palm Sunday entering Jerusalem. On a donkey, it's probably a story quite well known to many of us. And then we hear the story of Jesus visiting the temple where he gets angry and turns the tables upside down. We then go on to hear um, all sorts of questions which are asked by the religious leaders at the time. They question Jesus time and time and time again about all sorts of complicated things. They're trying to trap him, asking questions about work, wages, taxes, marriage, resurrection, identity. And... Obviously, there's quite a lot to unpack in these two chapters, and I can't cover all of that. And so today, I just want to focus on one tiny part of these chapters, and that's the story of Jesus's visit to the temple. So before we go any further, I think it'd be really helpful just to have a little think um, or discussion, if you're with anyone, about anger. When did you last feel angry? Why? What made you angry? And so um, when I was thinking about what anger is, I turned to the trusty Wikipedia and I got this definition. Anger, also known as wrath or rage, is an intense emotional state involving a strong, uncomfortable and non-cooperative response to perceived provocation, hurt or threat. Wikipedia tells us that a person experiencing anger will often experience physical effects. I work as a doctor and at medical school we studied human physiology. There's a literal physical effect in our bodies when we feel angry. Our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up. We get high levels of adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. Anger makes us do something, doesn't it? It goes on to say that anger becomes the predominant feeling behaviourally, cognitively and physiologically when a person makes the conscious choice to take action to immediately stop the threatening behaviour of another outside force. I just think that's a really helpful place for us to start as we think about what anger is. Let's read the the story as Luke, one of Jesus' friends, wrote it in the Bible. Luke says this, When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Why did Jesus get so angry? Now, growing up, I was taught it was because Jesus didn't want the temple to be a marketplace. He wanted it to be quiet, holy, sacred and special. And he was annoyed it was busy and people were there to make money. And to an extent, that is true, but it's so much more than that. You see, the mere presence of the money changers' booths wasn't anything shocking or offensive. 
The temple was the social and economic hub of the city. It was common practice for market traders and visitors to gather at the temple to buy supplies. In fact, it was expected that temple visitors would make a sacrifice of an animal as an act of worship and obedience. The selling of these animals for the sacrifices and the payment of the temple tax were actually required by Jewish law. They were central to the temple's functions. So it wasn't really that alone that made Jesus so angry. In John's Gospel, John was another one of Jesus' friends who wrote a story about his life. John writes this, the same story. In the temple courts, he, Jesus, found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold the doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. You see, it's interesting here. The primary focus for Jesus's anger was those selling the doves. It's interesting to note the context of this passage. The place where Jesus flipped the temples, the physical place, is the area where the poor could come to get right with God. But also, crucially, the non-Jews. If the non-Jews or the poor wanted to get right with God, this was the bit of the temple they were allowed in. The other side of this is that the people selling the doves were basically overcharging the poor. They had a captive market, it's simple economics, supply and demand. There was a, a captive audience and so they could just charge whatever they wanted. What was happening was the rich were exploiting the poor and effectively denying them access to God. If we think back to Hannah's talk last week about Jesus letting the little children come to him, the injustice that Jesus gets angry about and Jesus teaches us about is the same principle, people being denied access to God. And that is no wonder Jesus got cross about it. Now, I think this point is a really helpful point to just reflect and think about the fact that there are different kinds of anger. Obviously, there's a difference between getting angry at the traffic or um, getting angry when your kids take too long to put their shoes on when you're going out to school or whatever it is that probably popped into your head when I asked that question earlier. And there's a difference between those kinds of anger and what I sometimes like to think of just because sometimes it's helpful to put names to these things as righteous anger. I think of this kind of anger as anger which roots come from a heart, which is the same as God's heart. Righteous anger is when we get angry about the things that God gets angry about. How do we know what God gets angry about? It takes discernment and it takes intimacy. We have to know God's heart to know what makes him angry. Now, obviously, it's okay and completely normal to experience these both different kinds of anger, but it is really important that we recognise and appreciate the difference. For example, um, a way of just kind of helping to separate those differences, in my mind at least, um, is the story of Tony's Chocolate. I don't know if you've ever eaten their chocolate, but they're one of my favourite companies. 
Tony's Chocolate are a Dutch company that make unfair chocolate. The chunks in their bars are split up unequally. And the idea is to highlight and campaign against inequality in the cocoa industry. This really shocked me when I read this on their website. Did you know that in Ghana and the Ivory Coast, 1.6 million children, hear that again, 1.6 million children work under illegal conditions because the price that we pay for cocoa is too low. That's something to get angry about. Now last year Tony's Chocolate made a chocolate advent calendar and they left an empty space behind the window for the 8th of December saying it was using its products to tell the story of the chocolate industry. They wanted to highlight the fact that life is unfair and they wanted to start a conversation and they did but ironically people on Twitter at least seemed far more upset by missing out on one chocolate rather missing the point the company were trying to make. It was all a bit ironic. So anyway, once we figured out if our anger is righteous or just, what do we do with it? How does the way that Jesus responded to his anger in the temple help us know how to be angry well? What can we learn from Jesus's protest style? First, Jesus was disruptive. He was controversial. Obviously, there is a time for peaceful protest and placards and petitions, but there's a time for action and interrupting the normal order of the day. Secondly, the targets of Jesus's anger were the businesses, not the individuals, not the poor, not the lay people. Jesus went to the source of the money loving and he targeted that. Thirdly, and this one's a bit uncomfortable, Jesus used a whip. We specifically read that he only used this against the animals and not people, and he never physically harmed anyone. But that is uncomfortable, isn't it? I'm the oldest of four children, and my parents had this phrase they often said to us, which was this, violence is never the answer. And I almost entirely agree, especially when it comes to some healthy sibling rivalry. But the Jesus we read about here is a peacemaker, but he isn't a pacifist. Now, I've just opened a whole can of worms. (laughs) Um, And that might be something you might want to explore more in your home groups this week or come and chat to one of us about. Um, That is a can of worms. I fully acknowledge that. Anyway, back to the point. Fourthly, what, and what we're learning about Jesus's protest style, Jesus's anger wasn't just uncontrolled frustration at the system. Jesus explained why he was angry. He says this, God's house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus's outburst was sandwiched between thorough teaching and explanation as to the source of his anger. If we read this same story from another one of Jesus's friends called Mark, we hear that Jesus had actually visited the temple the day before, but he waits until the following morning to make his point. This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. This was premeditated display of anger. Jesus didn't just throw a hissy fit and walk off. He repeatedly taught why 
and how the establishment was misusing its authority and why this angered God so much. And we can learn so much from this. It is not enough just to get angry. We have to be able to justify and articulate the roots of our anger. Now, just a bit of a disclaimer at this point, none of this message is supposed to be a step-by-step guide to righteous protest, but I am aiming to open our eyes and get our brains ticking over. If our goal as a church is to know and become more like Jesus every day, then we need to observe and engage with how Jesus experiences emotions. Sometimes it's easy to forget that our all-powerful, awesome, mighty God also lived as a man on this earth and he felt the emotions that we feel, that should be a comfort. I also find it helpful to remind myself that as a fully sinless man, Jesus got angry. Hear that? It is not a sin to be angry. That's a myth we have to acknowledge. In fact, I'd even go so far as to say that if we choose to suppress our anger when it comes to injustice, we're being hypocritical and choosing to ignore injustice. Anger grabs our attention and sometimes these things can't be ignored. Today, I want to tell you a bit more about my story and we're going to talk about some very real but quite uncomfortable topics. So this is a warning that some of these stories are upsetting and some will probably make you angry. My goal really isn't to needlessly upset you and talk about dramatic topics for a reaction or for sympathy or anything like that. I just want to be honest and I don't apologise if this makes you angry. In early 2020, just before the pandemic kicked off, I had the privilege of spending some time in Lesvos. It's a Greek island on the edge of Europe. I was working with a wonderful charity who provided primary healthcare services to people who'd become refugees and were seeking asylum in a place called Moria. Moria is a large, overcrowded camp. It was originally designed for about 6,000 people. When I was there, there were 25,000 Most of them lived in festival tents or temporary housing structures, some were in containers, even tree houses. My role was to help triage patients work out who was sick, who wasn't sick, who needed to be seen urgently and who could wait. And it was quite an overwhelming task. I felt like my job was basically just to be kind, just to one person at a time. I couldn't do any more than that. I often felt a bit meaningless, just doing such tiny things amongst the overwhelming pain and trauma that I was seeing. Many of the people I'd met had come from Afghanistan, some from Syria. Most had walked thousands of miles. Many had paid human smugglers, human traffickers, to get to Europe in the hope of finding a better life. The conditions were inhumane. When I walked through the camp, I felt like I was in a cattle market. Disease was rife. 
Children literally lived feral. I met teenage boys who'd been raped by paedophiles, who'd travelled to Greece, broken into the camp, knowing that there were vulnerable targets to be exploited. I worked with parents who were physically unable to get their children a drink because of debilitating flashbacks and panic attacks, because of PTSD, to torture and gang rape they'd experienced on their journey. I got to know people who'd been made amputees by war, defending their own homes, only to watch their families get shot anyway. And to make matters even worse, because of the sickening and twisted political situation in Eastern Europe, there was a large group of Nazi idealists who travelled to Lesbos specifically with the purpose of destroying the camp, murdering the refugees and prohibiting the charity workers from providing any aid. While I was there, fires were started, some colleagues of mine were attacked, my Airbnb was attempted to be broken into and eventually I had to evacuate the island. It was a really tough time. And there were a few moments when I felt really, really angry. The first time I felt overwhelmed by anger and I was able to recognise that that's what I was feeling was visiting a place on the north of the island. It was effectively a rubbish dump where life jackets were put and slowly burned. The life jackets were um, worn by the refugees when they arrived at the island and, and most of them were just dumped there once the people arrived. But sadly, many of them had just washed up on the beaches with no person to tell the story of how it had ended up there. That's what injustice looks like. On the day I left Lesvos when I was evacuated, I was sitting in the Lesvos airport. It's a very weird place, an extremely modern building with a glass front looking out over the beach across to Turkey. I had a lot of mixed emotions that day as I left the chaos behind. But as I sat in the waiting room before I went through security, I looked out the water across to Turkey and I saw an inflatable boat full of people who'd become refugees making the dangerous crossing from Turkey to Europe. It wasn't an unusual thing to see, but on that time there was a Greek Coast Guard vessel also patrolling the waters. I obviously assumed they were going to help, but instead they didn't. The people on the Greek Coast Guard vessel got out wooden sticks and physically beat the people who were refugees, trying to sink their inflatable dinghy and push them back to Turkey. It was unimaginable human torture. It was impossible to make sense of the world. And I remember sitting, sobbing, not knowing how to pray. One of my friends who was down at the harbour where this was all unfolding was live streaming what was going on in the hope of drawing attention and getting some help for the refugees. And as I watched this live stream unfold, 
a young child fell out of the um, inflatable dinghy and that child drowned just metres from the haven promised by arriving in Europe. I was so, so angry. The third time I was overwhelmed by anger was a few weeks later. When I left Lesbos, I flew to Nazareth, which is the place where Jesus was born, uh, not born, grew up. Um, I was working in an A&E department there and not gonna lie, I was quite a mess by this stage. I really wasn't coping with life very well, obviously, um, but a lovely older lady from New Zealand completely took me under her wing. Church family continues to just be so amazing, doesn't it? And she showed me around the city one afternoon. I remember going to church after church, full of tourists, statues, ornate carvings, inscriptions, and a lot of tapped cellars. <laughs> and I don't deny that there is power and beauty and reverence in imagery and history, but this was too much. The hardest moment of the trip was standing in one particular church. As I looked down in this church where Jesus was supposed to have visited, there was a well next to the altar and visitors were encouraged to throw money in, in an act of prayer and worship. I felt so angry. How could the same church who claimed to care about the last, the least, the lonely and the lost be more focused on throwing money down a well than the child I watched drown on a beach just two weeks before? The Jesus I know would have been at the beach, not on the church. I couldn't make sense of it. And I felt full of rage. I physically couldn't control my body. It was the hardest thing to make sense of. And for a long time, I felt really angry at the church. Sometimes there are moments when we each experience surges of anger, don't we? We can probably all look back at our life and remember moments when we felt really angry. Sometimes there are moments when it feels like the world or our community experiences surges of anger. If we think back, there are recent moments and older moments, people and events which just cut through the noise and they make us angry. Whether that's um, human rights protests, the Black Lives Matter, whether it's protests about feminism or LGBT, we can all think back to moments in the news when the world has got angry about particular issues. Sometimes, as uncomfortable as it is, we need to be interrupted in our busy, comfortable lives to have a new perspective and to give space and time for our hearts to be broken again. Isn't it right that anger can make us feel uncomfortable? Despite the fact we know that Jesus felt angry and we can take comfort in that, anger is an inherently horrible feeling to experience. I don't know if you've ever lost it with your partner or your children or felt a surge of rage when someone cuts you up at the roundabout 
or wept at the injustice of children starving in famines or families separated by war or other disasters or you watch what's happening in Ukraine. But it often leaves us feeling broken and exhausted and even guilty. There's an interesting quote from a play I heard recently in which a nun says this. We have to step away from God to confront evil. And after, we have to have time to recover and go back to God. Hear that again. She says this. We have to step away from God to confront evil. And after, we have to have time to recover and go back to God. Now, this isn't at all to say that we confront evil alone. We know Jesus has already done that. He's already won the ultimate war in the cross in defeating Satan. But there is an aspect of embracing the anger we feel at injustice, which makes us feel far from God. Let me put that another way. It's often easier, isn't it? To feel God when we're sat in silence and solitude or we're in the peaceful countryside, surrounded by prayerful family and friends and church, when we're listening to worship music or enjoying journaling. The reality is that stepping into the battlefield of good against evil and letting the anger we feel empower us to act means we have to learn to relate to God in another way. For instance, I know that when I was locked in my Airbnb in Lesvos with the riots going on outside, Jesus was with me. My faith did give me strength, but in some ways, my relationship with God was really rocked. It was really, really hard to understand a loving God when I looked around and saw so much suffering. The anger I felt somehow felt unholy, like it wasn't something I could share with God and somehow it was dirty to feel that way. Now, in hindsight, I can see that that wasn't true and those confusing feelings have now helped me become more mature in my faith. But it's okay to acknowledge that anger is uncomfortable and learning to have a relationship with God when things are painful and emotions are negative It's what he wants. God wants to do this with us. Taking time after these surges of anger to reconnect and to recover is vital. We have to take time to reconnect and to recover. For me, going for a walk with my family on Christmas Eve, just five miles from my parents' house on the south coast, and coming across this boat um, washed up on the shore, it was an inflatable rubber dinghy, clearly a refugee boat which had crossed from France, was really triggering. Through time, prayer, professional counselling, and being open with friends and family and this church, I've slowly begun to manage the overwhelming emotion of anger I felt when seeing this boat. Whereas before, I would have just been floored and trapped by the anger. I'm beginning to be able to harness that emotion to pray and to fight for injustice. It takes time 
and I am definitely not fully there. Witnessing injustice can be traumatising, it can impact our mental health and it's complicated. It's really important we acknowledge where we need help, but it is powerful. Using the anger we feel to fuel a righteous fight is world-changing. But what do we do with all that? What do we do with that emotion? In case this is helpful, I am by no means saying that I got this all right. But what did I do with the anger I felt when I got back from Lesvos? Well, I got back from Lesvos and I had COVID. So I had quite a lot of time by myself isolating. And so I wrote letters. I didn't know what else I could do. But I wrote to MPs. I wrote to charities. I wrote to the Prime Minister. I wrote to newspapers. I spoke to local radio stations. I went on BBC Breakfast. I engaged with international online campaigns. I gave money to charities that support refugees. My experiences strengthened my resolve to live in a more environmentally friendly way. Did you know that the biggest cause of refugees, more than wars, even Ukraine? In the next few decades, it will actually be the climate emergency. Now, anyway, I'm not saying any of what I did was perfect, but... We have to find a way to not let our anger paralyse us. It's far too easy to look at the crisis in Ukraine or other injustices around the world and feel overwhelmed. Mother Teresa tells a parable, another earthly story with a heavenly meaning, which I think can be really helpful for us. She tells the story of a young child walking on, along a beach. And as you look along the beach for miles and miles, there are millions and millions of starfish washed up on that beach. And this child is just slowly throwing one starfish back in the sea. An older man approaches the child and says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm throwing starfish back in the sea. He says, well, that's pointless. You'll never manage that. You know, the the tide's going out. They're all going to drown. There's nothing you can do. And the child bends down and he picks up another starfish and he throws it back in the sea and he says, I made a difference to that one. What a powerful story. I learned recently that um, the the word for neighbour, when Jesus talks about love your neighbour as being one of the two most important commandments in the Bible. That original word for neighbour is a singular word. It's not neighbours, it's not everyone, it's singular. Love one neighbour, throw one starfish, just start. When we pray, break my heart for what breaks yours... It's a common worship song, isn't it? You've probably heard the song, break my heart for what breaks yours. What we're actually asking God to do is make us righteously angry in line with his desires and pain for this broken world. What a prayer. And you know what? Being angry has a cost. Putting our anger into action has a cost, but it's what we're called to do. So, 
Are we brave enough to pray that prayer? Break my heart for what breaks yours? Make me angry for what makes you angry? It takes courage, doesn't it? But it also takes community. Church, we get to do this together. And so to bring all of this into a bit of a close, we've thought today about anger. Why do we get angry? How do we manage these emotions? What can we learn from Jesus about how he did it? And how do we relate to God in those moments? To go back to our original definition of anger, we read this. Anger is when we make a conscious choice to take action against a threatening behaviour or injustice. Sometimes we can choose to ignore the anger. Other times, it overwhelms us. Ultimately, though, we have to do something with our anger. There is a time to sit in our emotions and process them. But, I'd argue, that just becomes selfish and self-indulgent if we don't do something about it. One of my favourite Christians if that's something we're even allowed, other than Jesus, um, is an amazing man. He's an American lawyer called Bob Goff. He started an incredible charity called Restore International, who fight injustices committed against children in Uganda and India, mostly those who've been abused by witch doctors or caught up in war. And Bob says this about anger. Our anger can coexist with our hope, but it shouldn't compete for our heart. I'll read that again. Our anger can coexist with our hope, but it shouldn't compete for our hearts. And I think that's a really important message for us to take away today. There is nothing inherently wrong with feeling angry, as uncomfortable as it may be. But ultimately, our God is a God of love and of compassion. The fruits of our anger have to point directly back to a fundamental belief in a hope for a more just, more loving world. The purpose of our God-given anger is to fuel us to fight and to pray, to see justice done and to see his kingdom come. That's my prayer. What's yours?